Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. recognition that the world, not enough, society, not enough, culture, not enough, the values and the priorities of the world, not enough. Lord, I need you. Because the reason Paul writes to the Colossians is to help them focus and have clarity in their minds as to what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ in a world that is filled with a uh, what we've been calling a mishmash of ideas. And uh, the natural tendency of the human heart is to just uh, go through the environment of our culture and pick up a little here and a little there, maybe a little Bible, but then something else over here. And before you know it, the, the things rolling through our minds and the things that are operating in our hearts have not come from the Word of God, have not come by the ministry of the Spirit, but we've simply absorbed um, a collection of ideas from the culture around us. And what we need is clarity, have a very clear understanding of who we are in Christ. And so this a uh, few moments ago as we sang, Lord, I need you, that really sort of focuses uh, the whole issue um, in, in that regard. So I hope you have your Bible in front of you, open to... Colossians chapter 1, we've been going through this letter. Uh, last week we covered verse 3. Um, I've decided that one verse a Sunday is a little slow, so we're going to pick up the pace. Uh, this morning we are looking at verses 4 and 5. <laughs> Fasten your seatbelt. As Paul writes to the Colossians, he uses the typical letter form of the day. He starts out by identifying himself. I, Paul, I'm the one writing to you, and I'm writing to you, readers, you believers in uh, the city of Colossae. Uh, that's who you are. And then he prays for them. He says, I, I thank God whenever I uh, pray for you. I thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that was the typical format in letters of that day to start out, you know, here's who I am, here's who you are, and uh, uh, just a little prayer on your behalf. But as Paul prays for them, as he puts this, this prayer down in front of them, he shows us what he's about, what he's really uh, talking about and what he wants them to focus on. And the first thing he does, he says, I thank God for you. And then he goes on, he says, and here's why I thank God for you. Verse 4. I thank God for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints and because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul says, I thank God for you that you're getting it, that it's found a home, that, that you really are understanding what this is about. There's, there's something going on in your life, and I see that in your faith. I see that in your love. I see that in your hope. 
and you're, you're on the right track. These are the things. It's sort of like positive reinforcement. Saying, you know, Colossian Christians, Colossian believers, these are the things that, that please God, and these are the things that, that are, are to be uh, just woven into your life, your faith, your love, and your hope. And so uh, Paul says, I'm, I'm thankful that you're getting it. And these three things, your faith, your love, and your hope. Now, unless you think that that's just sort of an arbitrary thing, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Most of you recognize this as the uh, love chapter of the Bible. Um, Paul describes what love is. Uh, but do you know that the, the context of this, really, is, he's writing to the, the church in Corinth. church in Corinth was a very troubled church. They divided up into factions. They were arguing with each other. They were, they were contending with each other. They had problems uh, with, with the factions. They had problems with immorality. They had problems and misunderstandings of theology. They had a problem with their worship. Um, they, they were struggling to try to understand what does it mean when someone comes in and they worship with kind of an ecstatic experience of uh, what, what we call it speaking in, in tongues. And so their worship was a source of contention among them. They, the, these uh, believers in Corinth had invented the worship wars. And so uh, that, that's what it was about. And so in chapter 12, Paul says, well, look, you know, the, the gifts of the Spirit are given by the Spirit uh, according to the will of the Father for the edification of the body. And he just sort of explains what a spiritual gift is. And then in chapter 14, he's going to say, but you know, if you're all caught up in, in this ecstatic experience of tongues, you really ought to be caught up in the worshipful experience of prophecy and the proclamation of the Word of God. And so um, in chapter 12 and chapter 14, he's dealing with this problem that they're having with worship. And in the middle of that, he puts chapter 13. In the middle of that, he starts talking about what love is. Well, now you know why he does that. It's because they weren't being very loving to each other. I've got my gift, you've got your gift, my gift's better than your gift. No, you have to have my gift before you can be saved. No, you have to have my gift. He says, look, look, look at uh, 13.1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, I don't have love. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. In other words, what is he, he's saying, you know, this, this love that we're talking about is more than just a feeling. It's, it's actually what's binding us together in worship. Now, I don't mean to spend too much time on 1 Corinthians 13, but I want you to understand what's going on. He's talking about love that transforms our worship. Which is, that's all you need to know. Then in verse 4, he says, love is patient, kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude and, and so forth. Verse 8, love never ends. It says, prophecy, that ends. Knowledge, that ends. Love does not end. And so in verse 13, this is where we've been heading. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. Where did he get that? He hasn't said a word about faith, not really. He hasn't said a word about hope. He's talked about love. It's love that he wants to infuse their fellowship to solve their worship problem. But it, just out of the blue, he says, faith, hope, and love, these three abide. What are you supposed to do with that? Evidently, they would recognize that. Evidently, they would recognize that faith, hope, and love are the three things that give definition, give the contours of the Christian life. 
And so when Paul says faith, hope, and love, he's really, he's talking about love. He's highlighting love in 1 Corinthians 13. But he just throws in faith, hope, and love. Because after all, he mentions it so often. Faith, hope, and love. He talks about it in Romans 5, uh, verses 1 through 5. He talks about it in Galatians 5. He talks about it in 1 Thessalonians. Um, and elsewhere, he'll talk about faith and hope, or love and hope, or faith and love. Um, and so this triumvirate, these, these three things of faith, hope, and love, evidently were very much woven into the fabric of the, of the thinking and the teaching of the early church. That's why we looked at 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and love, these are why. And, and that's the way we think about the Christian, love, uh, the Christian life. Faith, hope, and love. And so when he's talking to the Colossians, he says, I'm, I'm thankful that you have faith, hope, and love. He reverses the order, faith, love, and hope. He says, I'm thankful to God because it shows you're getting it. You're applying and living out what the Christian life is supposed to be about. And so I want for us to look at the faith, the love, and the hope of these believers and um, to understand this, this is what's giving clarity. This is giving focus. This is helping us understand what it means to be a believer in Christ in a world, in a culture that's filled with just a, a murky sort of swirl of ideas. Paul says, I am thankful since I heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm thankful for your faith. Can you hear the heart of a missionary in these verses? And th this is what Paul was all about. As he went throughout the then known world and he traveled from city to city and he was establishing churches. He, you know, he wasn't just going out trying to start franchises. Now, he wasn't going out so that headquarters in Jerusalem could have a lot of little franchises feeding corporate headquarters. You know, he wasn't just about getting people together so that they could have a good time. Paul was about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, going into the city, starting in the synagogues, going to the marketplaces, that we are lost, that our righteousness is as filthy rags before God, that we have all sinned, and then we all fall short of the glory of God. But God, out of his infinite mercy, has sent Christ Jesus to die in our place. And because he died, he took the death that our sins deserves upon himself. He died in our place so we might be forgiven. And then he rose again and ascended into heaven. And he's coming back. And when he does, the whole universe is going to fall on its knees and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that's the gospel that, that Paul was preaching in essence. And he says, I am so thankful that you responded with a personal faith in Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that you accepted him as Lord and Savior because that's the beginning point, that's the, the infusion point, that's, that's the point at which everything about being a Christian, about being a child of God operates. It's in faith in Christ Jesus. See, that's what we're about here. A lot of things go on in our church. We have folks taking a trip to Guatemala. Uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, our children's ministries and our sports ministries. And uh, we have uh, activities for the kids. And we even let the adults do things from time to time. So, you know, there's a lot that, that we're doing. But we make a big mistake if we think all we're about is just helping folks have a good life. We make a serious mistake if, if we think that all we're really doing is trying to help children be nice people. I want children to be nice people, but that's not our purpose. 
Our purpose is to lead little lives to Jesus Christ, to know Him, to love Him, to spend their lives adoring Him, to serve Him with every ounce of their being, that they might choose Him as Lord and as Savior. That's why we have something here that we call uh, the, uh, the seamless journey. You may have heard us talk about it. When you hear us talk about the seamless journey, what we're talking about, beginning in nursery, beginning with the little crib babies, all the way up to the oldest adult class, is to be one journey to Christ with Christ. We don't believe in a bucket ministry. You know what a bucket ministry is? It's where you take all the children, you throw them in a bucket. You put them off to one side so we can go and worship in, you know, in peace. And then when they get old enough, we, we dump them out of that bucket into the youth bucket, into the student ministry bucket. And we say, well, that's great. And we put them off to one side so we can go off and do what we want. And then when they get old enough and they can't be in the youth bucket anymore, we just throw them out, period. And they get lost and we wonder, what happened? Our youth won't come to church. We want a seamless journey. We want a little baby in the nursery to know the love of God in Christ Jesus just by the way she's held. We want her to know that God loves her more than anything else. We want little toddlers who, who think all they're doing is playing, but they're, 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 they're hearing uh, those who are attending to them tell them about the love of God. And they're, they're understanding, they're coming to understand that this is a safe place. This is a place where I'm loved. This is a place when I get boo-boos, they, they, they fix them and they kiss them. This is, a, this is a place, this is a good place to be. And, and then when they get into the preschool and they start to learn a little Bible verses, and, and we know they're truncated, but can you imagine the pride of a, of a preschooler? God loves me. I learned a Bible verse today. God loves me. And don't understand it. Do you understand it? They don't understand it. But they're walking, then they go on a seamless journey into the children's ministry where they learn more about the Bible and more about the love of God, and they learn more of, about what, what God is doing in their lives, and they come to, to a certain knowledge and understanding, and we start to explain the need for a personal decision for Christ. Christ. And so many of our children make that decision, but the journey's not over. And they walk into the youth ministry. And I can tell you, Debbie and Randy have done such work and, and spent such time trying to help our children uh, understand that when they're going into the youth ministry, this isn't something different. This is a seamless journey into Christ, with Christ, for the sake of Christ. And in the youth ministry to, to try and help uh, the, these young adults come to understand what it means to have a personal faith in Jesus Christ. It, it's not my father's and my mother's faith. It's my faith. And it's something I believe and it's someone that I adore. And then moving into the college years um, and into the uh, years in which you start that, that career to help uh, young people understand that this same faith that they knew as a child is a faith that will sustain them their whole lives. And it's just a seamless journey on through the adult Sunday school and, and, and the ministries to our adults. All a seamless journey because there's just one gospel of Jesus Christ. And every human being needs that gospel. Our children need it. Our youth need it. We need it. So Paul says, I'm so thankful that you have this faith in Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things about Jesus was he had a favorite term for his disciples. You know, the band of guys who, who were going to follow around with him. As he was teaching them, he liked to, I don't know if he was teasing them, but um, he would turn to them every now and then and say to them, O ye of little faith. One word in, in the Greek, oligopistos. O ye of little faith. He said that to them on the Sermon on the Mount. 
Remember when he was talking about, you know, don't be anxious about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear and all those kinds of things. Consider the lilies of the field. God takes care of them. He takes care of the sparrows. Look, if God takes care of all those, you know he's going to take care of you. Oh, ye of little faith. He says, I understand where you are. You don't really trust God. You know, you're not really following through. Then it was in the boat while they were going across the lake and, and the storms came up and, and um, they, they realized the boat was sinking so they ran to find Jesus. Well, they didn't run. You don't run in a boat. That'll just capsize. But they found Jesus. And they, they, they found Jesus and said, Jesus, don't you care that we're sinking? We're going to perish. We're going to drown here. Don't you care? Jesus looked at him and he said, Oh, ye of little faith. You don't understand. Life is not about the storm. It's about the Savior. It's not about the problem you've got. It's about the person who's going to solve it. You know, the difficulty here isn't that your boat is sinking. The difficulty here is that it took you so long to come find me. He says, oh, ye of little faith. A little bit later on, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the disciples were in the boat. They saw Jesus walking on the water. Right. Peter says, you know, Jesus, if that's really you... Tell me to come to you. Jesus says, fine, Peter, come. Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking on the water. You, you never thought of it that way. All we say is, Jesus walked on the water. Understand, Peter walked on the water until he started to see the waves. And he started to figure it out. And he says, you know, this really can't happen. And he started to sink. And Jesus pulled him out of the water. You know what he called him? He said, oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, he was going great guns. And then he took his eyes off Christ, and Jesus said, Oh, ye of little faith. There was another time when, the, when a man had brought his, his son to the disciples, and uh, uh, he said, You know, my son is demon-possessed. Could you cure him? And the disciples said, Sure, no problem. We'll do that. And they started trying to cast this demon out, and they couldn't do it. I mean, it excites the imagination of what they tried, but they, they couldn't cast this demon out. So Jesus comes up to them, and uh, the man says, Look, uh, my, my son has an unclean spirit, and, and uh, your, your disciples can't cast him out. And Jesus said, Well, um, I'll, I'll take care of him. And so Jesus cast the demon out of the man's son. The disciples later on come up to Jesus and said, Jesus, why couldn't we do that? You know what he says to him? Oh, ye of little faith. And the, the other time he, it was when uh, Jesus said, Beware the, fair, the, the, the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And the disciples start looking at each other and they say, What, he wants bread? You know, we don't have any bread. He wants something to eat. I wish he told us. You know, we, we passed the, the quick stop just a few miles back. And, you know, we could have gotten something there, but he wants something to eat. Jesus says, Guys, you don't understand it. Oh, ye of little faith, I'm not talking about bread. I can make bread... I can multiply the loaves. You remember that, don't you guys? Oh, ye of little faith, you don't understand what I'm talking about. So all along the way, all throughout the ministry, Jesus keeps calling his disciples, oh, ye of little faith. And you know what the cool thing about it is? They kept walking with him. They kept learning from him. And he kept saying, okay, guys, little faith guys, come on. Come on, little faith guys, come on. I take such great heart in that. Because I'm a little faith guy. I'm a little faith guy. There's more than I can understand. There's more than I can do. There's more challenges in life than I can face. So I just want to come up to Jesus and say, yeah, I'm a little faith guy. 
But Jesus, you're the one who said the faith the size of a mustard seed can move them out, and I'm just trusting you to do it. See, when Paul said, I'm thankful for your faith in Christ Jesus, he said, yeah, I'm thankful for that saving faith, that moment when you came to Christ and you gave your heart, you gave your, your, your life to Jesus, and, and he saved you. He took away the sin and the guilt and, and the punishment for your sin, and you're established in the kingdom of God. You're now a child of God. I'm thankful for that faith, but I'm thankful that that faith in Christ Jesus wasn't just some one-time experience, but it's actually a whole lifestyle of faith. It's a whole lifestyle of trusting Christ. Because everybody trusts something in their lives. Everybody you meet trusts something. Now, they may not know it. They may not think about it. Most people are just trusting their culture. They're just trusting the, the, the murky collection of ideas floating through the atmosphere, and some of them land in their heads, and some of them don't. And, and they're just trusting that there's some kind of wisdom in all that. But everybody is trusting something, believing in something. I thank God that you have faith in Jesus Christ, that your life is defined by Jesus Christ, and that you're relying upon Christ for the direction of your life and for the giving of your life. Everybody will trust something, and the point of, of, of having clarity in a murky world is to know that our focus, our faith, is in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. Now, when you do that, you'll, you'll, you'll run into opposition. When, you'll do, when you do that, you'll, you'll run into folks who are sort of challenged by that. When you say, my faith is in Jesus Christ, and suddenly the, 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 there's sort of an in, innate understanding. Well, what are you saying? My, my faith in human wisdom is wrong? Yeah, saying that. What are you, you saying? My faith in the goodness of the human heart is wrong? Yeah, I'm saying that. What, you're, you're saying that my faith in all the, the, the things that I'm being taught by the media is wrong? Yeah, I'm saying that. You're going to encounter opposition in a world that does not believe or accept Christ when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm so thankful that your faith is in Jesus. I'm so thankful that that's what is defining uh, your life. So he says, I'm, I'm thankful for your faith. And then he goes on. Still verse 4. Uh, we thank God since we heard of the faith in Christ Jesus. We thank God for the love that you have for all the saints. You're not like Corinth. You're not fighting with each other and, and, and digging at each other. I'm so thankful that you've got a loving church fellowship. He said, I'm thankful that you love the saints. Now, one of the things about being a believer in Jesus Christ is that we love and adore Jesus. We just love him. Can't hear enough about him, can't see enough about him, can't absorb enough about him. We just, we're, we're just madly head over heels in love with Jesus Christ. But that love for Christ compels us to love one another, to love the people of Christ, and to love the church, the body of Christ, to love his bride the way he does. Now, when we have that kind of love, when we have that love for one another, suddenly we have a great strength that's granted to one another. Uh, uh, Paul illustrates that. He says, look, I'm praying for you. I thank God when I pray for you. And he's going to go on and talk about some things. But he says, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for you. Look, I can't explain it to you. It's almost kind of like a miracle. But prayer has an impact on life. Now, one of the things that happens Wednesday night is that uh, those of us who are collected there, we, we break out into uh, prayer groups. And it'll be about two or three people or maybe four uh, folks, and, um, um, 
and we'll just pray together. And of course, we're praying out loud. And so there's this, this beautiful sort of, sort of a sound of prayer throughout the room. But I'm going to confess to you, sometimes I eavesdrop. And I'll hear coming from one corner of the room, I lift up the pastor to you. And I know there are people who pray for me in this room every day. And I can identify about three or four specific moments in my life since I've been at this church that I believe it was the power of the prayer of God's people that kept me safe. Thank you. There's power in prayer. Let's pray for one another. Paul said the definition of your life is that you, you love the saints. You love the people of God. You lo- love those whom God in Christ has uh, banded together. It's a great source of encouragement. You know, we're not perfect. You know, we stumble along. Uh, we, we, we fall along the way. But the great thing about a loving church family is that whenever you stumble, there's someone to help you up. Whenever you're weak, there's somebody to carry you for a little ways along the journey. Whenever you're confused, there's somebody to stand beside you and say, look, it confuses me too, but let's go to the Father who's never confused. There's an encouragement in being in a loving church fellowship. And there's a healing power in being in a loving church fellowship. When your heart is broken so badly you can't even speak, when the sorrow is so deep, words don't come. When you're so deep down in the heartbreaks of life, we come together and we weep together. And we know that the Father in heaven will wipe away every tear. So, you know, Paul says, I'm just so thankful you have love for the saints. Your love for Christ is being translated into love for the saints because that is a great source of strength. But that love for one another is almost also a great witness to the world. All right. Let me, um, well, let me just give you this verse from John. There, there, there are a couple. But Jesus said to his disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I hear people say, well, God loves everybody. Okay, fine. God loves everybody. Well, let's talk about this verse. This verse, Jesus says, the world will know you belong to me when you love one another. When you have a love and a compassion for each other. When that great commandment is fulfilled in your life with one another. That's why we're we're, we're called uh, to walk this journey together as a testimony to the world. Loving and encouraging and strengthening one another. That's why we all need a church home. You need a place to belong. That's why I'm just going to talk about Sunday school here for a moment, folks. Sunday school is where you get together. Okay, let's call it small group Bible study. Okay, that's what it, you call it. If you don't like Sunday school, like small group Bible study. But you get together, and there's just a couple of folks there, a few people there, and you're involved in each other's life, and you learn the Word of God, and you apply the Scriptures to life, and you learn what it means to love one another in the grace of God. Okay. We all need that. 
Paul says, I'm so thankful that that kind of love is, 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 is being exhibited in your lives and that you're seeing that going on today. So he says, I'm, I'm so thankful that you have a faith in Christ Jesus. I'm so thankful that you have a love uh, for all the saints. But then he says this, verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now, at the very simplest level, he's talking about we're all going to heaven. Now, those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to heaven. There, there's, there's a word for that in the scriptures. Hooray! Well, hallelujah, but okay. And that's true. We have a home for all eternity in the glory of heaven. This world that surrounds us, this isn't the final word. You know? I don't know why you and I spend so much try, time trying to fit into this world when this world is passing away. I don't know why we spend so much time working on having the world accept us, having uh, the world speak well of us when this world is passing away. I think we, we need to be very much concerned about the heaven where we will be for all eternity, that the Father in heaven accepts what we do and that the Father in heaven uh, is the one who, who defines who we are. See, our eyes are lifted up above this world and we have a glory that's yet to come. That's why we're not discouraged. That's why the president, the Supreme Court, the House, the Senate, that's why no premier, no prime minister, that's why no dictator, that's why no uh, imam, no, uh, no mullah, um, uh, you know, can, can, can threaten us at all. What's the worst they can do to us? The body they may kill. But our life is in Christ Jesus. We look beyond that. We have a hope laid up for us in heaven. And we can look beyond the, the, the moment to see eternity. Now, I'm going to confess that's hard sometimes. That's why we need to get together and worship a lot. It's easier right now. Isn't it? It's easier right now. Hang on to this moment. But, you know, it's hard. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. Gives us a vision of heaven's glory that surpasses whatever the world might say or do about us. Folks, Rough days are coming. There's a rough time coming to believers in Jesus Christ. Um, the days are coming when it's going to cost you your job. It's going to cost you your home. The days are coming when the government is even going to try to take away your children because you love Jesus Christ. I don't need to be a prophet to say that. All I have to do is read the news. But we're not discouraged. We haven't lost hope. We have a hope of the heaven of glory. We, we, we have a hope in the Father. And we know that, that this world, you know, why, we're not going to fear the one who can destroy the body. We're going to fear the one who can destroy the body and the soul. And he loves us in Christ Jesus. Our hope is in heaven. It transforms our lives. It transforms all that we do and all we think about. You remember what Jesus said to his uh, disciples once? He said, look, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't, don't have all this stuff on earth because it's just going to go moldy. It's going to rust. It's going to rot. It's going to pass away. He says, here's what you need to do. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven because where your heart is, there will, you, will your treasure be also. And when we treasure heaven, when we treasure the things of God, the eternal glory of God, when we treasure heaven, then it just changes everything on earth about us. Paul said, I'm so thankful, so thankful that you have a hope 
laid up for you in heaven. And so Paul talks about these three. He says, you're, you're getting it. You got the faith in Christ Jesus. You got a love for all the saints, born out of your love for Christ. And you have a hope in heaven that's transforming your life on earth. Faith, hope, and love. Now, what I want to suggest to you is this is a pretty good way of having clarity in a murky world. This is a pretty good way to clarify our thinking and to have a focus on what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Something's going to come up this week and you're going to need this. You're going to have a run-in with a co-worker or something's going to happen on the, uh, the assembly line or, or, or in the classroom, maybe in the, in the recreation fields. It might happen in the home. And you're going to wonder, what am I supposed to do about this? And, and the Holy Spirit's going to remind you, where's your faith? Where's your hope? And where's your love? Because when it's defined by Christ alone, then you've got clarity. Then you're focusing in. You know, parents want to know, what do I do with these children? You know, what's the goal? Like you bring this little baby home and you say, what am I going to do with it? I don't know. Here's your goal. To give her faith in Jesus Christ. To give her a love born by the Holy Spirit of God for God's people to give her a hope of everlasting glory that would lift her eyes up off the things of earth. That's your goal as a parent. That's your goal as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says to the Colossians, he says, I'm, I'm thankful you got it. I'm thankful that it, that, that it registered, that it's had an impact. You've got a personal faith in Christ. You have a love for all the saints. And you have a hope laid up for you in glory because that gives you clarity in a murky world. Let's bow for prayer. And Father, our worship doesn't end in a few moments and our adoration for you doesn't come to a close. But Father, this has just been the prelude that we might serve you, worship you, adore you throughout the whole week. And Father, I pray that you would give us clarity, that clarity of understanding and thought. Father, that we would have the focus on Christ so that our faith, our hope, our love would all be found in him, and that would define who we are. Father, let your Holy Spirit work in this room. That person who does not know you, bring them to love you and adore you. That one who, who knows they need to make a decision for Christ, Father, give them the courage these next few moments to stand before the world and say, Jesus is my Lord. Father, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.